deeper dive into the books of the Bible. Greetings and welcome to Pondering the Bible. I'm your co-host, Ken Corkins, and with me as always is my longtime friend and pastor, Rocky Ellison. Hello. And this is episode nine, and as always, we pray that we're sponsored by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, so I got some new toys for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm sitting here looking at them, and this is great. We've got some bright, flashy buttons and new microphones and all that kind of stuff. So if we sound a little bit different, that's why. We may not, but in case it does sound a little different, that's why. Um, and I changed the way I, on the last episode, I changed the way I did the intro and outro music. There's a feature in our podcast um, audio, our tool that allows you to upload the intro and the outro and it adds it for you. Okay. But it left a gap between where the outro stops and then there's like a second gap. I noticed I that. that. I on. noticed that. Yeah. When we got all done talking, then there was this like, okay, does anything happen now? Right. And so I'm like, okay. Oh, there's the music. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know that I like, I kind of like the fade in, fade out idea. So I may stop using that. Not a big deal. Um, and I've, now I've got it programmed into the buttons. So on the new box, on the new box. So it's easy to add it or delete it and re-add it however I want to do it. Um, so I thought Lady Sunday went well. I thought it went really well. I was very pleased with it. And it was wonderful for me to be able to just sit out in the congregation next to my wife uh, and my parents and my grandchildren and uh, just enjoy a Sunday worship. Good deal. I thought the song that they did came off really well. I was I was actually quite nervous about it because it's, it's not kind of their style. Right. And I thought they pulled it off quite well. They did. It. Uh, I thought the whole service went really well. And so if you didn't go back and listen to the to the sermon from last Sunday that Katie preached, uh, the song is actually in the middle of the sermon. In so the middle of the sermon. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, and then I was going to ask you, and you don't have to answer this, but uh, how was jury duty? Uh, I didn't have to go. Did Not you? that I'm encouraging anyone to shirk their civic responsibilities. That's right. But, we were just talking uh, about that in First Peter, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do what the government tells you to do. Right. Well, the government told me to show up. Uh, and then the government said, of the 400 of us sitting there, they only needed 43, and I was not in that select group, so I got to come home. Okay, good deal. I've, I've gone a couple of times to jury duty. I've actually gone all the way through Vordaire. Yeah. I was not selected after that, so I haven't ever sat on an actual jury. But it seems like it'd be kind of interesting. I don't know, maybe it could be horrible, but I don't know. I've never sat on a jury. All right, so let's get back to... Uh, the Bible podcast here. Um, we are back after last week. We're back into First Peter, right? Uh, and again, the context of this letter is that Peter is writing to the new Christian churches in Turkey, trying to help them as they start to face persecution. Uh, and so, what chapter and verses will we be covering this week? We are picking up exactly where we left off last time. Uh, we finished up in verse twelve last time of chapter three. So tonight we're chapter 3, verse 13, through the end of the chapter, verse 22. And what version are you reading from this evening? Tonight we're working from the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version. Um, I don't know how many years ago the Revised Standard Version came out, but it was designed originally for seminaries. It was meant to be a very technically accurate translation, um, not specifically word for word, but don't put your own ideas in the words. Just tell them what the author said as accurately as possible. 
So not quite a literal translation, it, right? Like it, Young's it, literal it's translation, just shy of a of a little because that would read really hard for it us. Really since is. English is structured Greek. much different than uh, either Hebrew or Greek, um, so it's it's a very technical uh, translation, primarily for academic study. Um, and then they found out uh, that it's hard to sell many Bibles to just seminary students not and, a, and not a large market <laughs> barely cover your publishing costs. So about thirty years ago. Uh, they came out with the new Revised Standard Version, which is uh, they softened some of, of the translation to make it a little more reader-friendly, but still retain as much technical accuracy as possible. Okay. So let me read that. Starting in verse 13. Now, who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed do not fear what they fear, and do not be intimidated, but in your hearts sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Keep your conscience clear so that when you are maligned, those who abuse you for your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if suffering should be God's will, then to suffer for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in former times did not obey. When God waited patiently in the days of Noah during the building of the ark— in which a few, that is, eight persons, were saved through water. And baptism, which this prefigured, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. Amen. So my general impression of this is, Sometimes, in fact, sometimes God might ask you to suffer or allow you to suffer might be a better word yeah. or a better way of saying it. it might allow you to suffer, but it's for the larger good. Yeah. Um, and so in all things, you should be a good person, even when, like we've said a hundred times, it's not the easiest thing to do sometimes, but be a good example and role model and, you know, Yes, you might suffer for it, but in the long run, it's good. It's kind of that short-term pain for long-term gain idea again. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of how I, I read it. I mean, even the I'm looking at the NLT, and the, the heading here is suffering for doing good. So that's kind of how it rolls, to me anyway. So um, let's go ahead and jump into it. Verse 13, and I'll, I'll pick it from the, from the NLT here. Yeah. Uh, now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? Right, that, that reads about the same in the yeah, NRSV. The um, that's an interesting verse. Uh, that word eager, uh, you know, if you're eager to do good, that word eager uh, in the Greek is zelotes, Z-E-L-O-T-E-S. Um, it's where we get the English words zealot okay. and zealous, um, uh, who, which is technically fanatic, someone who is fanatical about something. 
More than a goody two shoes. Yeah, yeah. This is somebody who lives and breathes um, whatever this is. You know, there are people who uh, are f- are fanatic when it comes to politics you know, or a I, or a sports team, right? Right, or a sp- exactly that that this is their 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 highest you know emotion is is to serve this this thing, whatever it might be. Um, and Peter wants us to be uh, exuberant here, zealous uh, for good. But different words in Greek have different endings, and those endings tell us, um, is this meant to be positive? Is this meant to be negative? How are we supposed to view this word? And in this case, with Zelotes, it's positive. Peter wants us fanatical, but in a good way for doing good. So he wants uh, he wants us to get up every morning and uh, not be angry with the people that are hurting our fellow Christians. Um, and, and so when he says, you know, be, be zealous to do good, it's not like avenging <laughs> Christians who've been suffering. Instead, this is going out to a broken and wounded world and doing all the good things you can think of to do. Now, you know, we, we say that good works don't save us right. as Christians, but they do define us and they do call other people to the faith. And that's what Peter's really pushing here. He says, I want you to be essentially crazy about doing good things for bad people, people that aren't saved. And God may or may not protect you from suffering. And as Christians, we have a hard time with that issue. No joke. If I'm out there doing everything I can for people who need to know Jesus, why doesn't God take better care of me? Right. How come they <laughs> mug the, the street preacher, right? Yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, just this last week, Haiti. 17 Christian missionaries operating an orphanage in Haiti have been kidnapped. Right. Uh, we don't know the outcome of what's going to happen to them. Um, it is not unthinkable that they may all die simply for their faith. And, and and so a question that pops up all the time is, well, if God's a good God, why isn't he taking care of those missionaries? They're doing, they are zealous for good. They're right. eager to do good. Why in the world doesn't God take care of them? And, and Peter goes on to say something which is is almost a little um, we have a hard time understanding as Christians. He says, "You may suffer for for doing good, but it's okay. God will reward you." Right. So and that's kind of that. It hurts now, but I'll be rewarded in heaven. I mean, it might be that much of a short term or long term uh, a way that you know I might die from this, but when I get to heaven, I'll be rewarded. Or it might be the short term, you know, I get my, my head kicked in or something, but yeah. I can recover from yeah. it and live for another 20 yeah. years or whatever. And we struggle with, what does Peter mean by reward? Um, right. Going to heaven's a pretty big deal. That's a pretty big reward. But is that, that happens whether you suffer or not, as long as you're a believer. And so there are a lot of people that believe when we get to heaven, there will be different ranks of privilege. I've heard that theory between believers, and 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 I'm not sure that I personally ascribe to that. But that's this is where it comes from. People saying, "Well, if you suffered immensely in this life, um, God rewards you with greater uh, honor and prestige in the next. Uh, certainly not as great as Jesus, but you will get you will get some kind of acknowledgement and recognition from the rest of humanity." Uh, and I don't know that this verse exactly says that, but it, it does imply something. Right, that somehow or another, those who have suffered for Christ are better off in heaven than those who really didn't. I mean, 
the the bare minimum Christian who says, yeah, I, I believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead for my sins. There's your, you know, you're into heaven now. But then if you go out, you know, I don't know, um, what was her name? Mother Teresa. I mean, thank you. I knew what you were <laughs> thinking. <laughs> Somebody like Mother Teresa who, uh, who you know, does amazing yeah. things in yeah. the name of Jesus. You would, you know, in our human thinking anyway, you think, well, yeah, she's the best Christian I've ever seen. She should be the best, you know, heavenly person I've ever seen either. Yeah. So I can see how you can try and, and pull that out and maybe use that as your justification for, you know, I'm going to do gooder. <laughs> I'm going to do gooder because I could be gooder in heaven. I don't know, but I can see that. And I've so, heard that theory. So because of that, in, in verse 15 then, uh, Peter brings up, you know, always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Now, he's still continuing what he started back in verse 13 about you may suffer. Uh, and so what that brings up for you and I is, what is our responsibility to these unsaved? If I'm going to incur suffering and maybe even death, how far does, does God expect me to go? Right. And so when I think, when I read that, you know, um, you must be ready to give an ex- explanation. Um, that brings up the term there that he uses, I'm going to pull out a Greek word here, is apologia. Yeah. Right? And translating that, you might think it's apology, as in, you know, give an apology for being a Christian, you, you loser. <laughs> but it's not. It really means explanation. That's how, why it's translated that way in the Bible. But um, that actually has started a whole school of, not really a school of thought, but of a, a thinking or a area of study called apologetics. Yeah. Which is giving good reasons for being a Christian, right? So if somebody says, well, why should I be a Christian if if I'm a missionary and I get taken taken hostage and kidnapped, why would I do that? And so you as a Christian, hopefully you can say, well, because I will be rewarded later, whatever that is. But that's a whole whole, uh, section of study and and learning in the the Christian circles. Um, When I came across my first class of apologetics, uh, uh, working on my master's degree, and and honestly, at that point, I didn't know how the word was defined. And I thought, wait a minute, we got to be sorry about being Christians. I got to apologize for this. I'm not sure I want to take this class. And it turns out to be one of the best classes I ever took. It's it's how do you logically, reasonably explain to someone who has no Bible background whatsoever why they should be a believer? Paul even brings that up uh, in Colossians. Uh, Colossians 4 says, Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. That was from the NLT. But yeah, it's the same idea that Mm -hmm. if somebody asks you, why are you doing this? Why are you behaving this way? Because I'm a Christian. Here's why you should be a Christian too. And here's why I believe. Here's Jesus. You know, he walked the earth. He taught us. He died for our sins. And we get that that in uh, verse 18, but <laughs> well, yeah. but given that whole explanation of why, you know, a logical reasoned explanation of why to be a Christian is a whole, whole field of study. Well, yeah. If you've been following with us, you know, from day one of first Peter here, I don't know how many times we've brought up your life should be your witness. When you get up of the morning and go out in, in public, you should do everything you can to uh, be as much like Jesus as possible. And that way, even if you never say the words Jesus out in public, people should look at you and go, there's something different about Ken. He just, how he responds to life is different, and I think it's better. 
Uh, and, and in this verse, then 15, Peter is saying, at some point, if you do this well, somebody's going to walk up and go, why are you different, yeah. Ken? <laughs> and you need to kind of be prepared with an answer for that. Uh, and, and my best advice to people has always been um, not that you have to be able to quote scripture or, or that you have to uh, be able to define uh, uh, your theology, have a systematic theology. But what you need to be able to do is say, here's what Jesus did for me. Right. And, and every one of us can do that. Right. Instead of beating them over the head with a Bible. <laughs> Just say, you know, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to go out and be that street preacher or go on missionary work. It could be that simple one-on-one conversation. Yeah. You know, somebody pulls you aside and says, hey, man, what's up with you? And here's what Jesus did for me. And he might be able to do that for you, too, if you just give it a try. In verses uh, 16 and 17, he makes a point of, uh, but you have to be respectful when you do this. Right. Um, even if you have no respect for the theology of the person you're you're talking with, um, be respectful of them as a person, as a child of God, when you explain what Jesus has has done for you. Uh, and so uh, verses 16 and 17 follow that track, brings us into verse 18, where then Peter jumps into a pretty high-tech, or mm-hmm. uh, highbrow uh, theological stance. Uh, technically, we call it substitutionary Atonement. You want to take that? Oh, and, I'm not and, sure. I want to take that and, one. And talk about ver- <laughs> verse 18. <laughs> I was just going to say that verse 18 is kind of the whole salvation message in a in a nutshell. Right? It is. Jesus died once for everybody for all time, and that and so, in fact is the definition of substitutionary atonement. That that's right. it right there. That somebody else paid for my sins. Yeah, and that's my atonement being paid for sins and substitution. It was Jesus who paid for it. So. Yeah, that's a heavy thought if you really think about it. As 21st century Americans, we have this tendency to um, play down, and maybe, I don't know, maybe everybody's been this way, but we have a tendency to play down the significance of sin. Yeah, yeah, I'm a sinner, but it's okay. Jesus died for me, so I'm, I don't have to deal with that. The truth is somebody does have to deal with that. God right. is a fair God. We were talking about that a couple of weeks ago. Our God is fair. And so if if there is sin, somebody's got to suffer. And fortunately for you and me, Jesus took the took the punishment for us. Right. Um, so then moving on, um, verse 19, he kind of jumps into this. Uh, well, he first starts out with, let's see if I can find it. He went and preached to the spirits in prison, those who disobeyed God long ago, when he, waiting patiently while Noah was building his boat. Okay, so what in that what what does that actually mean, right? <laughs> he went to prison, he went to prison to preach to people after he died. Wait a minute. Verse 19 is one of the most controversial verses in the entire New Testament. And that's in fact verse 19 is the reason why I picked uh NRSV to read from tonight. Let me give it to you again from the NRSV um, in which he also went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison. Hmm. Uh, which we typically define these days as hell. Uh, Jesus went to hell. Uh, this, uh, and we believe that Peter is saying this is where Jesus was for those three days that he was dead, dead, dead. That's what he was talking about before. You know, Jesus died once for all. He was dead in the body. Okay, yes, when he was crucified, he is absolutely dead. His spirit 
had to go somewhere. We all have spirits, and we say our spirits are going to go somewhere. Well, Jesus' spirit went to hell. And there are four different prevailing theories about why did he go to hell and what did he do there. Um, Peter goes on to talk about Noah. Then he gives this example of Noah and all of the people that uh, that came every day, 120 years while he was building an ark. Everybody came to laugh at him, right. taunt him and mock him for 120 years. Um, and these people were so evil that God decided we're wiping out the entire world except for eight people. These were bad people, right. <laughs> are very anti-God people. Um, and, and Peter continues that on as part of this. He went and, and made a proclamation to the spirits in, in hell. And so there's four theories about this. And, and the first theory is that what Peter's talking about is not he, Jesus, but he, Noah, and that Noah, over the course of those 120 years building the ark, his life was a witness to God. Uh, Peter, uh, he, Noah did what Peter is asking us to do: live every day as a witness for for God. Uh, and so those those evil evil people that got flooded out when they went to hell suddenly realized they were wrong. That's theory one. Theory two is that he is Jesus, and Jesus went to hell during the three days he was dead, and he preached to Noah's audience, hmm. the people that jeered at Noah. Uh, and this, uh, if you interpret it that way, it's kind of a nanny, nanny, boo, boo thing. Jesus right. shows up hell and says, guess what? Noah's right. You were wrong. Uh, you spend eternity rotting in hell there. See ya. And, and then Jesus pops out on the third day and rises again. Wow. Um, theory three, uh, ties into this, um, in the, the story of Noah is in chapter six of Genesis it also talks about, chapter 6 talks about these Nephilim, these giants who were fallen angels who uh, were having sex with the daughters of man and, and, and that God found that to be uh, an abomination. And so theory 3 is that Jesus went to hell and he preached to the fallen angels, those who fell with Lucifer from heaven, were kicked out of heaven. And again, it's a nanny nanny boo boo. God, God won, you lost, spend forever in hell. The fourth theory is the one that all of the early church fathers embraced. Uh, it's got the greatest recognition uh, among academics today, and it's the one that I personally buy into. And this is that Jesus went to hell, and he preached to every human being born before Jesus. So those people who lived in Australia— 10,000 years before Jesus was born. And had no chance at all to ever hear. They didn't know what a Jew was. They didn't know who the God of the Jews was. They could never understand what a Messiah was. Still get a chance to be saved. Interesting. And and that's the theory that I ascribe to uh, of what Peter is saying here in verse 19, that during those three days of his death, Jesus went and made contact with every human soul prior to his arrival, who never would have had a chance to be saved. Well, you know what? Our good and fair God gives them a chance. That's an interesting—I I, kind of like that theory. I, it, you know, it, it, I think I like—of the four, I like that one the best, obviously. But, yeah. Um, yeah, it, that seems to me, you know, in the different readings between the NRSV and NLT, you can, I can easily see how different theories can appear because there's yeah. words in there and there's names in there yeah. that may not— Leads you down the path of well, he's talking to the Noah people, 
rather than talking to all of you know the human humans before before Christ, all those who never had a chance to even hear the name of Jesus, let alone choose Jesus. And I think the whole reason of putting the no part in there is to give you an example. When Jesus went, who did he talk to? Well, he talked to like the people that, that accused Noah of being a, a fool because they just couldn't get, an, they couldn't get a good answer about who God is. So Jesus gave them one and they get a chance. Interesting. And yet these were the worst of the worst. These are the ones we had to flood the world to get rid of. So even the worst of the worst prior to the arrival of Jesus get a chance to be loved by God and be saved. Interesting. So that brings up a, a, an interesting topic. Um, weekly, in a lot of churches, ours included, we, we recite the Apostles' Creed. Yeah. Right, which talks about uh, Jesus died and, well, I'll pull it up real quick because I had it pulled up. We do what's called the traditional version from our hymnal uh, in which uh, – when it's talking about Jesus says, uh, he was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he arose from the dead. Right. Then there's the ecumenical version. Ooh, the fancy word, ecumenical. What does that word mean? That, uh, that word the- means um, embracing the beliefs of more church. Ecumenical means all of the Christian church, the, the larger church, however it's celebrated. So among Catholics and Presbyterians and Methodists, this would be the version of the Apostles' Creed that would gain wider acceptance. It embraces okay. everybody's views a little more openly. And so the words are slightly different. Um, and we're going to do it this Sunday, and I'm, people are going to have to read it because yeah. if they try to do do it from memory, the other one from memory, there's a bunch <laughs> of words that are are different. But the key is that uh, he, he was, was crucified, cru- dead, and buried. That, go ahead, got it? Oh, yeah, he was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. Yeah. So in the ecumenical version, it just flat comes out and says, "Okay, that's where he was," and it's using this these verses from Peter right here, verse nineteen from chapter three to justify putting that sentence in there. He descended to hell. Um, right. So that'll be interesting, <laughs> people. Because I, I do it from memory, too, and I know I'll flub it. It's hard not to. Yeah, it's hard not to. <laughs> All right. Um, and then moving on a little bit, he kind of, I'm looking at verse like 21 where he quotes, he equates Noah's flood with a baptism. Any, any thoughts on that other than he's just kind of drawing a parallel with when, yeah. when God flooded the earth in Noah's time, he was washing the earth clean. And now when you're baptized, you're not washing your body clean, but you're washing your spirit clean, kind of. Yeah. Um, more along those lines. You know, it's a symbolic um, act to be baptized. So Exactly. Is there any more? Uh, no, I, I think that's it. He's, he's trying to tie um, the worst damage ever done by water had a holy and positive effect. It it gave the earth a fresh start in humanity. Only eight people are left. They are all believers in the one God. Um, and baptism in your life should be kind of the same thing. It, it should be a fresh start, a clean start to uh, let go of the bad and, and begin sanctifying yourself, uh, living uh, righteously according to the will of God. All right, so this is a starting point. Okay. Um Let's see. Then we kind of move on a little bit deeper into, uh, well, it starts about verse 22. Um, where's Jesus now? <laughs> right? Um, right. If, if, we, if, if Peter told us where he was when he was dead, then what about the next question? Well, where did he go when he left? Right. And the answer is 
he's in heaven, sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, which again is in the Apostles' Creed. Right. <laughs> and uh, lots of places in the New Testament. Yes, talk about, that shows up. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's kind of a, a recurring theme that now Jesus is kind of the man in charge or the being in charge. I don't know yeah. if he's a man anymore. <laughs> he's at least the being in charge. <laughs> All right. So um, any other thoughts on this one? No. Uh, that's a, it, There's some pretty strong um, ideals and concepts in there that the being fanatical about doing good, even, even if you're going to suffer and doing so because there's some kind of a reward out there. Uh, that God is going to to give to you for for your suffering. Um, when people say your Jesus can't be the real God because what happened to all those people before Jesus came? Well, here's the good answer. From they got Peter. a chance. Yeah. yeah, here's where Peter says, "Yeah, they get a chance too. Nobody has an excuse. No one." The the thing that I learned that I hadn't really known before was you know what did Jesus do for three days? You know whether he was you know whoever he was talking to for those three days. And where that came from. Now I know where that came from. And also, I've I've done a little bit of dabbling in um, apologetics, and that's a interesting. You really have to think about why you believe and how you would describe it to somebody else. That's always an interesting place to. to you think. and I are absolutely convinced when we die, our spirit will continue on. Well, that had to happen for Jesus too. So, where was it? Right. So, have you given a sermon title yet? Yeah, calling this one exuberant. For good, uh, being a you know a fanatic for doing good, uh, even if you know all these other things, negative things in some cases, flow from your good. It's what Jesus has called you to do. So, if you'd like to listen to Rocky's sermon, it'll be on our website at www.ponderumc.org/ministries/sermons. Look for the ter- sermon title "Exuberant for Good." And this will have been delivered on October 24th, 2021. And I think with that, we'll close this episode. So from the town where getting stuck behind the passing trains is a legitimate excuse for being late, (laughs) Ponder, Texas. This is Ken Corkins and Rocky Ellison reminding you to love God and be nice to people. Thank you for listening. You can find us at www.ponderumc.org. There, you can watch the live stream of our casual service, listen to replays of this and past sermons, and find other interesting information about us. This has been Pondering the Bible.